Good morning, church. All right, let's run it back. Come on now. Good morning, church. Fall of 1968. You're going to have to trust me. I wasn't there. Dad tells this story. Fall 1968, first day of class. Shows up, majoring in engineering at Vandy. And he takes his seat. He's just getting comfy. Probably got that number two pencil out, Scantron. I don't don't know. Something. Something to take notes on. He's got these skinny guy, horn-rimmed glasses. Professor starts going through the roll. Calls out. Glenn Warren Gregory, stately. Dad, here, because that's what you do, right? It's roll call, here. Here, sir, right here. Silence. Dad stays put. Seconds that feel like eternity, and then it comes again. Glenn Warren Gregory. Sir, it's me. I'm here. I'm right here. Got my pencil, everything situated. We're ready to go. First day of class. Nothing. Silence. Third time's a charm, right? Glenn Warren Gregory. Dad doesn't know what to do. He's, yeah, sir, it's me. That, that's my name. I'm Glenn. Professor, for the first time, looks up from the lectern, the podium. He looks at my dad, said, do you know Graham Warren Gregory? And my dad goes, oh, no. It's my dad. It's my dad. The professor in that moment gives a five-minute lecture on how good my poppy was at math in front of the whole class, dad's first day at Vandy. Kid you not, Pop played tennis at Vandy in 1939-40 and maybe 41. Pearl Harbor happens, goes to Pearl Harbor, finishes at Georgia Tech. This professor at Vandy, 38-39 all the way to 68, guy's got longevity. His brain is so good, he remembered a name from forever ago, and I laugh, my dad tells that story. I first heard that story when I was probably in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, somewhere in there. That guy, the professor's got a memory, not not me. Somewhere in there, Glenn Warren Gregory. On and on about then Graham. So here's me, sixth, seventh grader, hearing this story, and I love this story. I love the way dad tells this story. So nervous. You've got Graham Warren Gregory, you've got Glenn Warren Gregory, my dad, and then you've got Garrett Warren Gregory. And I heard that story, went to my room. Went to my room, got a piece of paper out, said, okay, this is my lineage, this is my line. I gotta, I gotta be an engineer, I gotta go to Vandy. You laugh, you know me. Um, <laughs> writing it down, scribbling. All caps, that's the only way I know how to write. Write it down. I will do, I still remember it to this day. I will do everything I can to get into Vanderbilt University. I will do everything I can to get into Vandy. Signed it with some, and you couldn't even tell what it was, blob of a signature. 
and put it in the desk that my dad had in college that he gave me when I was a kid. I set it in there. <laughs> Y'all, turns out to be an engineer at Vandy, you need two things, right? You gotta be able to add one, okay? Two, um, you gotta be able to try. You have to try to get into Vanderbilt. Uh, those things did not happen to me in high school. Uh, I can't add and I did not try. You cannot leave Brentwood High School with a 2.8 GPA and expect to get into Vanderbilt. <laughs> oh, you're gonna laugh at me right now. Okay, fair, fair. I'm sure the counselors at Vandy laughed at that as well. Uh, yeah, no, dude, you ain't getting in. I, but I've wanted this my whole life. Like, you, you know Graham, you remember Graham? The dude. You remember Glenn, engineer? You guys realize that the math gene can just kind of skip around as it wants, and some people just don't get it. I don't, I don't have it. I don't have it. I laugh about it now. You're like, gee, you need therapy. I'm like, I got it. This is part of it. Welcome to therapy right now. This is it. I laugh about it now, but it broke me for years because I felt my parents had never said this. They don't believe it, but I had felt that in GWG, that lineage, that line, that longing was for me too. And it broke me when I found that thing I'd written in seventh grade. Turns out, y'all, I never asked Jesus what he thought about it at all at the time. What do you want me to go to college? Like, you're the king, right? You're the prince of peace. You're God with us. I never asked him, where should I go? What do you want me to do with the rest of my life? Four years passed by since senior year of high school. Turns out a college let me in. They were kind. I tried after that really hard, really tried. Graduated. They actually let me out of there. Great place. Thank you. I'm in your debt. That longing never left. So what did I do? I applied for a job in athletics at Vanderbilt. Why? Because I wanted to be the AD. I wanted to direct athletics there. And I thought if I started as an intern here, but more than that, if I'm just really open and honest, I had to see my name with a Vanderbilt email. You laugh. That's real. Had to see it. You laugh, had to see it, got the job. Intern in athletics. I had a cubicle, it was awesome. Great people walked by me every day. Legends walked by me every day. Tim Corbin knew my name every single day of that internship and I was a nobody. That's the culture he installed there. And I remember day two came around. I was writing an email. G. Gregory at Vanderbilt.edu sends something to the SEC office regarding tennis from like forever ago. And it filled me with pride, but then on the way home, I realized I was lost. It did not satisfy. You ever longed for the wrong thing? Ever wronged or longed for the wrong longing? Just me, cool, we'll keep moving. That's my story. Here's what I wanna say with that. What I found in 39 years of attempting to be alive and now a few years walking with Jesus is I make a terrible king. I make a terrible king. Thus the beauty of the one born king. 
there is one who will never let you down, never let me down. My parents would preach to me that story, but I didn't want to listen. I, I got to do this. I got to match up. I got to size up. Poppy, dad, me. And it was all this massive pride issue in my life. And then I got directed to go, Garrett, your kingship is not working. But Jesus' kingship will always work. He's the one born king. And that changed everything for me. Whole premise of the morning. You ready? Here we go. God's promise in Jesus is the only way to fulfill your longing. Nothing else will work. I mean, this is, y'all, this is littered all throughout the Gospels, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. The truth is, God's promise in the one born king, Jesus, it's Advent. We're going to talk about him a lot. God's promise in him is the only way that your heart is finally satisfied. That longing that you've ached for for approval gets washed away in the approval of the one who died on the cross and rose for your stuff. And he changes everything. Changes everything. Jesus comes in, and this is the lesson in our longing. That only he fulfills this longing deep down in our souls. That's his job. That's what he does. This is the lesson in our longing. You know what I'm finding this Christmas? It's kind of fun. We're all on the same team now. Like I put up the tree three weeks ago. Some of you are like, gee, what are you doing? It's not even Thanksgiving. I know, I know, I know. But we're all on the same team now. It's post-Thanksgiving. We're one big happy family. Here's the thing. Here's what I'm finding this Christmas. I love Christmas. I love the garland. I love the lights. I love the music. I love all of that. But here's what I'm truly finding in my heart right now is I need Christmas. I don't just love it. I'm finding in my heart that I need it. I need this story. I need this king. I need every ounce of the gospel poured into my veins so that I can actually try to live in this culture now. I don't just love Christmas, and it's true. Christmas is a Christian holiday, but now you look at it, Christmas is a worldwide holiday. It's celebrated by non-Christians, Christians, everybody. Peace, joy, all of the things. We're all attracted to those things, but I think it speaks a word in this moment and in this time to go, yeah, I dig Christmas, I love it. But as a believer, you're going, no, I, I do love it. And deep down, I need it. Gotta have them. Because my kingship stinks. I'm not good at being a king. But the one born king changes everything. Simeon, Anna, they figured it out. Stand with me. Luke chapter 2. They got this. They understood what the longing was all about. If you've got a Bible, you've got a copy of the text, I love it. It'll be on the screen if you need that too. We're in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start... When I find the page, here we go. Verse 25, Luke chapter two. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was righteous, he was devout. He was waiting for the consolation, we'll get that, of Israel in a minute. The Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit to the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, get this, according to the custom of the law, again, Jesus fulfills the law, he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and spoke this hymn. It's a hymn. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace 
according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. In other words, I've seen the kid. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Let's go. Glory for your people, Israel. Yes, and the father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and then said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the rising and the fall of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed and a sword, we'll get to this, will pierce your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then our girl, Anna, steps on the scene. There was a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phanuel, tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Y'all, she did not depart from the temple. She worshiped, fasted, prayed day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna, Simeon figured it out. There's one longing that will fulfill everything in your soul and they clung to it. Let's pray together. Father, would you bless the hearing of your word? Spirit, be strong. In Jesus' name, amen. You get Simeon on the scene, we'll tackle him first. I like this guy. He's a prophet. What's cool about him? You get this immediate theological question that comes in. He says, okay, I'm Simeon, I'm devout, I am waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, I'm longing for Israel to be consoled. Why does Israel need to be consoled? They've seen some stuff. They've done some stuff. The relationship is broken. The relationship is broken and they need somebody that can console them. In other words, they gotta have the one born king, this Jesus. He is waiting for this night and day. Keeps going. The Holy Spirit was upon him. You're like, that's weird. It's not even Pentecost. We'll get to that. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, the Spirit made it aware. Hey, Simeon, you're not going to die. The kid's going to come. You're going to see him face to face, and it will be a revelation to the Gentiles. It will be beautiful glory to Israel. It's going to change everything. I mean, this was the promise, right? You go back to Micah 5 and you go back to like uh, brilliantly deep passages in Isaiah, 700, 800 years before the gospel of Jesus comes in perfect incarnate kid. Simeon had been waiting. Anna waiting. When's he coming? When's he coming? This is interesting. The spirit was upon him. You're going, how'd that happen? It's not even like Acts yet. Like Acts, it's not having happened yet. The spirit, Pentecost hasn't arrived. This is rad. I dig this. I love it. In the Old Testament, you will see multiple times throughout the Old Testament, the spirit come upon someone, rest on them. Multiple occasions. New Testament, pre-Pentecost, according to Leon Morris, it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare, but I love his quote about this. The scholar says that something special is happening here. You don't see the spirit before Pentecost rest on somebody usually this long. 
It's a special moment happening with this guy. The Spirit led him, was upon him, and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he then sings because his heart's so great. He pins a hymn in this moment. They're like, what's Jesus doing in the temple? Jesus fulfills every part of the law. And one of the parts of the Mosaic law, if you would uh, rewind maybe seven verses from the moment we just read in 222, they gotta bring Jesus to the temple. They gotta present him to the Lord. The spirit is so good that in his perfect timing, the moment the one born king arrives in the temple is the exact moment the one who's waited all these years. The longing is in him and the spirit guides him to the temple at the exact moment the child arrives. Not bad. So good. He continues, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have literally seen your salvation. And get this, this is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And you need to see this. Um, most likely there might be a Gentile in here. Makes sense. We are, yeah, me. I dig this passage because he's saying the light of Jesus coming. This prophecy is not simply for the Jews, God's chosen people. It is for all people. Anna says the same thing at the end. It's for the Gentiles too. And you're going, what do you mean revelation? Here's what it means for you as a Gentile if that's you. Revelation. It means now you know in whom you must believe. The king has come. He's in a manger. What a story. For the glory to your people Israel. What's the glory to the people Israel? What's that even mean? It simply means, hey Israel, all of the promises of the Old Testament that were spoken are true. Glory to the Lord. A light has dawned on those in darkness. It's a big deal. His mother and his father marveled at what was said, and then it gets interesting. They're like, what is going to, it went beyond what the angel had previously said. And then it gets ominous, it gets interesting. Hey, Mary, and he directs this right at mom. Moms, you're going to get it. Says this, behold, stop and stare at this, Mary, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is Jesus, he will be opposed. In other words, some are gonna believe they will rise, some are gonna fall. They're not gonna believe in the baby. They're not gonna believe when he comes and he starts doing his ministry, he will be greatly opposed. Mom, get ready. Mom, it's gonna be painful. Mom, I can't even imagine, but this will feel like a sword going through your soul when you see your son on a cross. And mom, this is gonna be brutal and I can't even imagine it when you see him in that moment and you realize he, you see him in glory. He raises three days later. There will be trouble, but trust me. You can trust the promise. Your son will go through it, but I'm here. Verse 36, and there was a prophetess, our girl Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. Lighthearted moment, if you'll allow it. I literally was working on this in, in my room the other day, and I've watched too much Frozen. I have three kids, um, five, three, and one. And so I literally pronounce Anna as Anna, and if you know the story, you're like, oh, I got you, yeah. Um, so I'm trying not to do that here. If it comes out, it comes out. There's a lot of Frozen in our house. 
but that's where it comes from. And maybe that's how they originally said it. Maybe they're onto something, but Anna for the moment, here we go. Daughter of Phanuel, tribe of Asher, advanced in years, at least 84, God, she didn't depart from the temple. If you had a service, she was there. If you had a prayer service, she was there. If you had a fasting moment, count on her. Anna showing up, night and day. The spirit moved in her too. She got the prophecy as well. There's gonna be one. And check out the timing that's, that, that Simeon got, same timing she got. Verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting on the redemption of Jerusalem. Look at her reaction to salvation coming. I can't hold it in. She is finding anybody and everybody in the temple to say, yes, he's here. Like, not just like, I'm trusting that he's here. That's the kid. He's the one. Simeon's over there singing songs about him. This changes everything. Like what you've waited and what you thought would satisfy your heart for years, it's failing you. Can I point you to the one who will never, never, never let you down? It's not in him to do it. He's born king. He's the exact representation of his father. And he's going to make all sad things untrue. That's the king. He's the one you've been longing for all this time. He changes everything. God's promise in Jesus is the only way you will ever find, fulfill your longing. A job won't do it. Getting into the right school won't do it. List goes forever, but Jesus will. There's an older preacher. Um, He's long gone, long gone at this point. But everybody at school talks about him all the time. Can't shut up about him and they're right. My favorite story is not how this preacher spoke or his sermons. They were legit. 1850s, late 1800s England. My favorite thing about this prince of preachers was how he came to know Jesus. It's crazy. He couldn't get anybody to tell him. The story goes, okay, uh, conviction by the spirit on this, this boy's life. I guess you could do things at 15 you can't do now. Like he's going through snowstorms by himself. It's, it's a crazy story. But he's got this longing in here that he can't shake. He's incredibly intelligent. His grades are through the roof. His GPA unweighted had to be bonkers. Dude is getting into Vandy, okay? It's going to, good for you, bro. Yeah, awesome. Congratulations. But there was a longing there that he could not resist. So he went to church. His one question gets in the chair, probably trying to get comfortable. How do I get my sins forgiven? He waited for the preacher to tell him. Preacher never told him. Preacher number one never told him how he could have his sins forgiven. Okay, there's gotta be a really practical dude somewhere. Goes to church number two. Goes in there, how do I get my sins forgiven? Gets really comfy in his chair, getting to know people first day kind of thing. Nothing. He left the church with all of the weight of the world still on his shoulders, the longing. How do I know him? Third time, shows up at a church, walks in, sits in the back, 
waiting for the prayer. How do, I, how do I get my sins forgiven? I've got this longing I can't shake. Can you help me? Nobody told him. Three times. Virus hits England. 1849, December. Goes home from Newmarket, where his school is, to Colchester, hometown. Snowed in completely. But that longing he could not shake. So he gets up in a blizzard, no parents with him at 15. Talk about longing. Snowstorm going down the street and sees a little bitty church. All right, the snow is killing me. I got to get in somewhere. Goes in. Guess how many people are in that place? 12 to 15 is what his biography says. He goes in, preacher's out for that day. Snowed in, could not make it. So an old wiry lad gets up there. He said, whatever he could make out of the text. But he actually pointed to this 15-year-old boy and said, son, you look miserable. Out loud, quote, you look miserable. Charles Haddon Spurgeon had never had anybody compliment or tell him about his appearance in church before. That was the moment. He said, son, look to Jesus. He goes, I'm not the pastor here. I'm just a dude that's up in the pulpit for today. But son, you need Jesus. Nobody satisfies like him. Look to him. In that moment, Charles Spurgeon gave his life to Christ and became what many call the prince of preachers, the best. I love what Charles says. Here's his words on that moment when he came to know Jesus. Kid you not, word for word. Between half past 10 o'clock when I entered that chapel, and half past 12 o'clock when I was back again at home, what a change had taken place in me. Simply by looking to Jesus, I had been delivered from despair and I was brought into such a joyous state of mind that when they saw me at home, they said to me, something wonderful has happened to you. And I was eager to tell them about it. He finishes, oh, exclamation point, there was joy in the household that day when all heard that the eldest son had found the Savior and knew himself to be forgiven. Knew himself to be forgiven. The longing met. Worldly things won't satisfy. Simeon figured it. Anna knew it. Spurgeon got it. What about you? You know him? Do you know him? Not do you attend BBC. Cool, I, I do too. Do you know him? We want to offer you that spot. Like, yeah, he'll, he'll move on the Prince of Preachers. That's what the Spirit does. He, no, 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 he's, he's good. He'll move on all of us, all of us. In this moment, if you want to know Jesus, here's what I would ask. Very simply, not here to embarrass you. If you will just look up at me. If you're not looking at me, you're, you're uh, let's see, head down, eyes closed, you're just praying. If you know Jesus, pray for the other folks in the room. But if you want to know Jesus for the first time, you've never given your life to him, and you want the joy that Spurgeon talks about, the joy that Simeon had, the joy that Anne had, and you realize today, it only comes through the one born king who would go to the cross, rise, and now reigns as the Lion of Judah. If you want him, and you've never given your life to him, 
I just want you to eyes locked on me in this moment and we are just eyes locked in this moment and I want you to make it awkward. You're looking at me, you, you know it, you've never given your life to Jesus and in this moment you want him. If you're looking at me, you totally mean it and this is that moment. What I will also say is this, and I know Trav would say it too, there's no pressure here, none. The spirit's not moving in your heart to know Jesus at this moment, cool. But for those in here, you know this is your moment to know him. I would just ask that you'd follow along in a prayer in your heart with me. A prayer of salvation this Christmas. In the silence of your heart, if you mean it, you've never given your life to Christ, but you know now is your moment. Would you pray along with me quietly? Jesus, in this moment, I give you my life. You are the longing I've always waited for. And you've come for me. Forgive me of my sin. Create in me a clean heart. And instill your spirit within me. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Our king, the one born king, makes all sad things untrue. This Christmas changes everything. I need this Christmas. This is the lesson in our longing. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you meant it. There is a glass looking box. When you walk out these doors, go to the left. It looks like an Apple store. Let's hang out. There's great people in there. I'm jumping in. If you know Jesus now that you prayed that prayer, go there. We'll meet you there. Don't leave this place without talking to somebody about how good the king is. Father, we love you. You change everything. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.